It may not seem like it, but it was actually only last Sunday that we celebrated Easter Sunday. It may seem like six months ago to you, but it was last Sunday. And ministers and worship leaders in churches all over the country and all over the world sought of new illustrations to be able to illustrate the wonderful joy of Christ's resurrection. In one church, in Trinity Church in Sutton, where one of our daughters worships, the minister gave out helium-filled balloons to 12 children. And then I think after giving them their talk, he told the children to let go of their balloons. And of course, they all floated up, and there they were, 12 balloons, all on the ceiling of that very tall church in Sutton. And of course, people went home, and um, I hope they remembered the message of the resurrection. But I guess most of the children were wondering, I wonder how long those balloons will stay up there. So this morning, I will will hear, no doubt, this afternoon when our daughter rings us, where those balloons were. Were they still there on the ceiling? Or were they sitting on the chairs, looking rather sad and dejected and deflated. Today used to be called by old-fashioned preachers Low Sunday. I don't know why. Why anyone should feel low on Sunday because every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. It's why we meet on a Sunday and not on the Jewish Sabbath on a Saturday. We meet today to celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead And I thought I would speak about the resurrection today because I've always thought, why keep it to just one Sunday in the year? Because for us, the Easter season began last Sunday and continues right round the year until Palm Sunday next year. And the week after that, the new Easter season starts because every Sunday is a day of resurrection. But you will know that there is a tendency these days to deride certain Christian truths that were once regarded as the bedrock of our faith. Doctrines like the virgin birth, the inspiration of the scriptures, the reality of heaven and hell. So that we're not, if we're not careful, we're left with just a vague sentimentality a sort of generalized goodwill and an easygoing tolerance of all sorts of beliefs. But perhaps most serious of this modern tendency is the tendency to downplay the physical resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard the critics, haven't you? Oh, it was a hallucination. Oh, it was a conspiracy. They worked out this plot. It was a misunderstanding. They went to the wrong tomb. Oh, it was just a spiritual resurrection. Jesus lived in their hearts. That's what they meant. Oh, people were more gullible in those days. They would believe anything. You've heard it all, haven't you? And many say, well, does it really matter? Does it matter what happened all that time ago? Well, Michael Green, who many of you will have heard of, I'm sure, pastor, theologian, author, in his little book, man alive, he says, without faith in the resurrection, there would be no 
Christianity at all. Without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. How do you react to that? You think he's being a bit over the top? Come, come, Mr. Green, we might say. There's lots of good things. We don't have to keep on about the resurrection. After all, we only mention it once a year. Surely there'd be a lot left. It doesn't seem to play a big part in our churches. And it's a bit difficult for people to swallow, you know. Do we have to keep going on about the resurrection? Well, as you will have heard in the first passage that Jean read to us this morning, Michael Green is only echoing what the Apostle Paul said all those years ago. He said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So by extension, although I wouldn't bracket myself with the Apostle Paul, my preaching to you is useless this morning if Christ has not been raised. If we find it difficult to accept that, that the whole of Christianity is useless without the physical resurrection, let's just use our imaginations. Now, there's a scripture somewhere that says your young people shall see visions and your old people will dream dreams. I don't know whether he was thinking the imagination, but never mind, I want you to get you to use your imagination, whether you're a young person or an older person. Let's just imagine that the critics are right that in fact all these clever people who spout away on our television, uh, yes, they've hit on the truth. That Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That the women went to the tomb and they found the stone still in place and they went away very sad that he couldn't anoint the body of Jesus. That the man Mary Magdalene met in the garden that morning, he really was the gardener, just doing a bit of weeding in Joseph of Arimathea's herbaceous border. And on the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And this bit's true. This bit really happened. You heard it read to you. They were a group of frightened men meeting behind locked doors. They were not expecting Jesus to rise again. And he didn't. They're trying to decide what to do next. And let's use our imagination, shall we? Imagine that group of 11 frightened, demoralized, perhaps disillusioned men. What might they be saying to each other? Well, remember, we're still using our imagination. So I can imagine, first of all, the recriminations. Oh dear, why did we let Jesus come to Jerusalem? Why didn't we talk him out of it? We knew he'd be in danger. And Peter will mutter, perhaps in a corner, well, I did try, but he wouldn't listen to me. Someone else might say, if only we'd all had swords. We could have fought them off, and Jesus could have escaped in the confusion. Someone else might say, if only we hadn't let Judas continue with us. I always had my suspicions about him. We should have thrown him out ages ago. And so on. And then someone sensible, there's always someone sensible, isn't there? Someone sensible might speak up and say, look, that's enough quarrelling. We're not going to get anywhere squabbling amongst ourselves. What are we going to do? We need to preach Jesus' message. It was such a wonderful message. We've got to carry on teaching. Did, did anyone take notes? No? 
Nobody took notes. Oh, never mind, never mind. I'm sure we can remember some of them. What was that one about the Samaritan? That was good, wasn't it? That was a story about the Samaritan. Oh, yes, I see what you mean. It might be a bit controversial. We might have trouble with the nationalists. Okay, Um, what about all those wonderful things Jesus said? I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection from the life. No, you're right. It does sound a bit hollow. Now he's dead, doesn't it? No, we can't do that. What about that one about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? They might say, that, that wouldn't upset anyone, would it? Perhaps, some, perhaps we could remember that. That would go down well. And we can imagine someone piping up and saying, I hope no one's going to suggest we start preaching in Jerusalem. Because before you could say Methuselah, they'll have us nailed to a cross. We've got to get out of this place as quickly as we can. Galilee's the best place to preach. Are you joking? They'll say, all our friends up there in Galilee know that we ran away and left Jesus. They're not going to listen to us. Why should they listen to a bunch of cowards who couldn't even stand by Jesus when he was dying? And then we might imagine Peter saying, well, let's be realistic. Let's go back to the one thing we're any good at, fishing. Let's go back to that. Okay, that's enough imagination. But we only have to start thinking about that alternative to to realize that there's no way you can explain what happened after that. No way you can explain the fact that we're here this morning, that around the world there are millions and millions and millions of people who are praising Jesus, celebrating Jesus' resurrection. The only way we can explain it is that in that group of tired, disillusioned, frightened men, something happened that was so devastating that everything else was turned topsy-turvy. We've already thought that no way were they expecting Jesus to come back from the dead. Don't think that people were simple just because they lived 2,000 years ago. People did not come back from the dead in the first century any more than they do in the 21st century. Once people were dead, they were dead. The Romans knew that. The Greeks knew that. And the Jews knew that. You can find a couple of references in the Old Testament to a future life in Job and in Daniel, but generally the Old Testament picture of, the, of death is of a deep, dark pit, cut off from God, remembered no more. In fact, so much were the disciples convinced that no one could rise from the dead, that when Jesus, on at least three occasions, said that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinners and crucified, and then on the third day he's going to rise from the dead. They never heard the last part at all. There's no indication they took that in at all. So outlandish was the thought that anyone could come back from the dead. No, the wonderful thing was that Jesus came and stood among them and Luke says in his account of that meeting in the upper room, Luke says they were scared thinking they were seeing a ghost. So little were they expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. 
But to prove that he was no disembodied spirit, he showed them his hands, his feet, his side. The blood marked wounds, still raw from his crucifixion. And then he was gracious enough to come back on another day when Thomas was present, and as we know, to show him his wounds. He was no ghost or hallucination. On another occasion, he came and had breakfast with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, eating broiled fish. And then he gave them their plan of action. They were to stay there in Jerusalem. They weren't to flee. They weren't to escape. They weren't to behave like scared rabbits. They were to stay there in prayer, gathering all the believers there together, and they were to stay in prayer until he would give them the power that would enable them to proclaim his message, the power that would bring everything to their memories that Jesus had taught them, the power to fear neither Roman nor Pharisee, but to preach with boldness that Jesus Christ was alive. And as we know from reading the book of Acts, and some of you have been studying this in your house group, you will know from reading the early chapters of Acts that that is exactly what they did that there in the city of Jerusalem, where a few weeks before an angry mob had shouted out, crucify him, and Jesus was nailed to that cross, in that very city we have Peter preaching with tremendous boldness. Peter, who we last saw, sobbing his heart out outside the courtyard of the high priest. Why? Because he hadn't even been bold enough to say, I know Jesus. And now just a few weeks later, There he is in that city which had condemned and crucified Jesus. He's preaching and the gist of his message, if you've read the early chapters of Acts lately, the gist of his message was, you crucified him. Right in your face. He didn't wrap it up. You crucified him, but God has raised him from the dead. And that was the whole theme of his message. What caused this change in the man? Has he gone stark raving mad? Or are his words true? Well, we know his words proved true. And within just a few weeks in that city of Jerusalem, the scriptures tell us there were 5,000 believers. And the message continued to spread and continued so that within about 30 years, which is not long, almost all of us here this morning can remember very clearly events of 30 years ago, Within 30 years, there were churches, Christian churches, in every major city in the Roman Empire. How on earth could that have happened if there hadn't been some cataclysmic events which set the whole thing in motion? I have a friend called David. He's a minister of a church in Krasnoyarsk, which is in Siberia. I haven't been there, but from what I've heard, if you or I were to travel to Krasnoyarsk, we would call it a God-forsaken place, an old Soviet-era city, grey, dull, bleak, stuck in the middle of nowhere. But it isn't God-forsaken. Because in David's church, he's seeing people turn to Jesus Christ. He's seeing 
people who are imprisoned in all those vices that sadly are so endemic in modern Russia, drug addiction, alcoholism. He's seeing people, and especially men, turning from these things and being liberated by the power of Jesus Christ, recognizing that Jesus is still alive today. He's not wrapped up in these holy books. He's alive seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. And they're, con they're celebrating the continuing resurrection story. Do you know the Apostle Paul? Another man whom we could talk about at length, but I'm not going to. A man whose life was turned around through meeting the risen Christ. He prayed that he might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I want to leave you with the thought today that if your life, if your Christian experience feels a bit like those deflated balloons sitting rather sad and dejected on the seats of that empty church, I want to say to you, that God is wanting to give you a fresh touch of his joy because Jesus is alive today to meet with you, to come into perhaps the locked room of your heart, just as he came into that locked room in Jerusalem. Jesus is wanting to come and stand in your midst, stand in our midst, and to touch us and bless us, to say, peace be with you to you. And to bring that healing that perhaps you're seeking. To bring that hope that you think has gone from your life and to restore to you that touch of real joy that has been the strength of Christian people throughout the ages. If you would like to make this day a, a day when you open your heart again, or perhaps for the first time, to the wonderful power of the risen Jesus Christ, to touch your lives and transform you just as he's been transforming lives ever since he met with that man, Simon Peter, and forgave him and recommissioned him. This morning, come to the front after the service. There will be people here to pray with you and to help you to make that fresh start. So let us pray now. Lord God, we thank you for the joy that our faith is based not just on stories in books, not just on beliefs in our heads, but we thank you, Lord, that our faith is based on a solid historical event, that at a certain day, in a certain month, in a certain year, in a certain place, a man came back from the dead, in flesh and blood, eating, talking, drinking. And we thank you that he was Jesus, the Son of God. And so, Lord, we thank you that his power is available to us today. And, Lord, Help us to recognize our need. Help us to recognize, Lord, that we need that fresh touch. And we pray, Lord, that for each of us here, there will be that fresh touch of joy as we know that power of the Holy Spirit meeting with us, thrilling us, and filling us with that resurrection power. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.